Hello and welcome to another episode of Mixtape. Uh, I'm Fatma and uh, today my guest is Mehir Hussain and we are going to talk about all things publishing, books and you know how interviewing, a good interview can be a form of uh, storytelling. Hello and welcome Mehir. Hi Fatima, thank you so much for having me on here on Mixtape. It's wonderful to be here. So let's just uh, dive in. Uh, and my first uh, uh, you know, discussion point would be uh, focused on the fact how interviewing is a good form of storytelling because you a journalistic experience. Hai and just you know, taking from that and the fact in today's day and age, everybody is focused on clickbait. Everybody has sort of, I don't know, social media. I think we can't just only blame social media. I think it's uh, the generic laziness of our minds because human mind is capable of a lot of things. And uh, it's upon us that we, you know, use blame a tool that, you know, it's shortening our attention span and not, you know, uh, using any self-control or anything on it. So just share on how uh, in your professional career interviewing has been a form of uh, storytelling for you. Yes, absolutely. Fatima, um, I started in the media uh, way back in 2007. So not so long ago, but, you know, I mean, way before, before the digital age that we now know took over. And one of the first lessons that I learned when it came to interviews was that it's people love stories in every form. In every, whether they're written, whether they're in a film format, or whether they're a video, or whether even if it's a cartoon, people love stories. Stories are a form of entertainment, they're a, for, uh, a source of information, and most importantly, stories really help people connect. You know, I always tell people that whenever you're writing your reports, your profiles, your case studies, always, always throw in a story. Because you can give people all the facts and figures you want, all the numbers you want, but nothing, nothing is going to drive the point home unless there's a story. And that too with a human element. Because ultimately, as human beings, why do we enjoy stories so much? It's because it's a, it's a sense of escape. It's a sense of wonder. From childhood to adulthood to even, you know, as a consumer, as, as a storyteller, the goal is always to not just give a message, but also form a connection with who your consumer is or who your reader is, right? So very early on, I, I, I remember this was, I think, um, one of the earliest lessons that I learned was when I was uh, reading an article someplace, and I think it was Pink Floyd, who, or, or some rock band, I, I, I think it was Pink Floyd. And one of the band members had this habit that whenever the interviewer would come in, they'd be, they'd be very nervous, obviously. Obviously, you know, you're, you're interviewing this wildly popular rock band. So one of the things that this, this uh, band member would do was he would make the interviewer, the journalist, whoever it was, reporter, sit down and ask them, you know, what's your favorite color? And I thought this is such a wonderful way because you're immediately making a personal connection. And I have always, in everything, in no matter what field or, or what um, topic I'm writing on, when it comes to interviews, I always, always, always try to create a personal connection. I mean, I have a personal connection with you, and it varies. I have a personal connection with other people. It's something that I feel that when you... I mean, there was this very infamous ad of, uh, you may not know this movie. And E.T. was a finger coming. It was a, it was a telephone ad, a telephone company, British Telecom, B.T. And so they show a human finger going up from Earth, and they show E.T.'s finger coming down. And then the two fingers meet in the middle of the screen, and then, you know, the Chand, Piche Banavata, and British Telecom. It was a brilliant ad. And I think that once you make that connection with someone, 
then you are already establishing trust which is an integral part for any interview any profile that you do if you do if, if the person doesn't feel comfortable if they don't feel like they can trust you then you need to really rethink how what your strategy is so uh, moving on from the fact that obviously it's very important that you have you know you lay this basic established tool that the person you are interviewing is comfortable enough to share what you are asking and you know even if and to the extent that if they are not comfortable in answering something that they are not they don't want uh, to be put out uh, they can tell you in in a nice way that you know this is not what they want to respond to and then you should also have the courtesy of sort of you know not following for the clickbait thing uh, yes. so so keeping Absolutely. that keeping this is research ka bahut important hai element yeah yeah aapko research karni chahiye which which you never ever walk into an interview thinking oh i'll just swing it no yeah. one is that good no one yeah. on this planet is that Do and, your research uh, always, and I, and I think research also helps. And uh, this has been my experience because a, uh, I've I think repeated this a couple of times. I'm not a trained journalist by education, so I sort of this sort of stumbled upon this field or the semi field of sorts by accident and by the fact that again, uh, there was uh, has always been interest on my part uh, for storytelling, be it writing or be it. you know photography and us tarah ka case hai so sure. research has always helped me come up with questions uh, and like there have been incidents where where i have been involved with, you also know that we i've been involved in the side projects for some time now and ke even at time some professional people have asked you know how did you got this answer and i was like you know it's online available online and it was already said that person had already said xyz somewhere i just added on that fact and i have received at yeah. times very surprised reaction and i was like aren't you a trained person isn't this something you should already know uh, so just uh, say that share what your experience has been that why you are seeing a deterioration um, on the professional side uh, when it comes to interviewing where mostly no matter how senior the person is yeah. how experienced the person is whenever we see these sort of interviews they come across very shallow they don't add anything of value additional value other than the fact that if for example ek badi bada koi interview hype hota hai kisi xyz is going to interview this celebrity or this politician and and blah 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 but if you just and if you look at that interview it has the same stuff that a you have heard multiple times uh yeah stuff that you can just google and wo beshak wikipedia ke char panch pehli char panch lines mein wo cheeze us bande ke bare mein hongi where did we went wrong and this is not just a pakistani thing i am seeing this trend yeah. i think globally badi badi publications jo hain they are sort of turning into gossip sites and gossip sites sure. so where do you see how yeah. did, what's your view point on how the deterioration happened Fatima I think initially you know when when I started out as a journalist and I didn't receive any formal training as well I literally learned I walked into a newspaper I was handed a newspaper to run because the previous editor had resigned and I learned everything by myself mm-hmm. honestly I just sat there thinking what do I do and I had this and I think one of the greatest things lessons that I learned was that when you were going into an interview when you were going to profile someone you cannot put your limits you're not there to ask them to prove what you already know you're there to discover something new and you're there to give them a platform what i see now especially on on social media platforms is i see there are several factors i see young people asking the same questions again that the interviewees have already covered and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they've not the the, the person conducting the uh, interview has not done their research or they want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth for themselves for whatever reasons i don't know it's not a scoop it's not an expose it's not new then there's also the culture of commercialization you know when people are trying to get people uh, you know 
interviewees to say things that they know is going to get them hits or clicks or brand endorsements. And those are not profiles. Those are PR pieces. I think we need to be very, very clear about this, that there's a very distinct difference between a PR piece, a PR stunt, more like a marketing gimmick or a profile. There are some very good profiles out there, but I think that if somebody wants to profile someone, somebody wants to interview a person, then you must be open to whatever they have to say. And you must learn to respect that person in, in their entirety. You cannot cherry pick it. Oh, okay, um, so-and-so person dropped so-and-so brand's name. We have to put that in. And then so-and-so person made this statement about the environment, how boring, take that out. You can't do that. A profile is meant to be wholesome. A profile is meant to show a person with all their good points and their flaws as well, because ultimately yeah. we're all human. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then yes, you will end up with shallow pieces and you're not going to have you're not going to have something that's going to connect with your consumer. And I think this also is adding to this fact of uh, sort of, you know, uh, specifically when it comes to people in, uh, who are public figures, putting them into as into the positive or the negative boxes like somebody because the profiles are done in such a way that you, you the audience is made to either love somebody irrespective of their flaws and then when something yeah. comes out it's just like bang on everybody starts hating on that person or otherwise yeah. there are people who are made to uh, you know be seen as the demons i don't consider these profiles a profile is not a profile is not meant to cause polarization. A profile is there for people to see someone to know, learn something about their journey to understand how they got to where they got to and and to inspire others and to to create a connection. If your profile that you have conducted, if the interview that you have conducted just portrays someone as someone that you either love or you hate, then that is a failure. That's not a profile. That is that cannot be categorized as a profile. That's just a marketing gimmick. That's it. So, so in uh, uh, the, some interviews that you have done and you have sort of recently uh, published a very unique book, and we will get into that. But before that, before we discuss that book and the content of that book, and you know some very interesting profiles that you have done for that. Um, before that, before uh, in other your uh, you know profiling, I don't know career or journalistic career, uh, can you share some interesting interviews that you have done or some interesting interviews or profiles that you went into and you didn't expect uh, a story that you got to know about a person or, or a person shared that you were absolutely sort of blew absolutely. Your mind out or something like that. Yeah, the, there are several of them that come to mind. Um, one of my most cherished memories and a profile which I feel went unnoticed, not because it was written by me, but because of who the person was, was um, of um, the late Colonel Amjad Hussain, Sayyid Amjad Hussain. This was someone who had been part of the Pakistan movement and he'd worked alongside Kaide Azam, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. And he was... Um, his son had actually asked me that, look, you know, uh, my father is very old and would you be interested in speaking to him about his time with Jinnah? And I was shocked. I said, what? We actually have someone who's part of the Pakistan movement and nobody's spoken about it. This is ridiculous. Interestingly, I had met him before several mm -hmm. times, but I never knew who he was. And that just goes to show how necessary it is you don't know who someone is if you actually make a connection with them. We'd never gone beyond the usual salam, salam. And when I sat down, I just gave him, I said, Ji, aap apni kahani That's it. That's all I said. I said, Ji, aap mujhe apni kahani And I think Fatima, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life to hear a man to actually relive the entire partition movement for him to tell me personal anecdotes about Jinnah. And then it also broke my heart because when it, we were concluding the interview and there were moments of laughter and moments of exasperation and moments of uh, you know, joy and very interesting insights into how things were 
pre-partition, you know, how the divisions between Hindus and Muslims and Sikhs were created. But towards the end, when, you know, now we were talking about post-partition and what Pakistan had become, he broke down and he sobbed his heart out. He sobbed an old man in his 90s, sobbing his heart out. And I'll never forget the way he said, ye, ye Pakistan, ye mulk hai. Is ye Pakistan, and I remember his caretaker had to step in at, at one point and, and, and ask me, but to my surprise, I was crying myself because I knew what he meant. The two of us, I'm, I'm certain the caretaker at that point must have been like, but the fact was that here's someone who's from my great grandfather's generation perhaps my grandfather's generation as well. And here I am, and the two of us are crying over the fact at the state of the country. That was our bond. I mean, how sad is that? Yeah. How sad is that? A great man, and he had done so much for the country, and he left weeping and crying. That was one that really drove home the point that I will never, ever, ever limit anyone because on some level, I felt privileged enough to know that I had tapped into this man's emotions where he felt comfortable enough to cry in front of me. On the other hand, I was I, I, I realized how important it is to get to the raw element in any profile that you do, to get to the core of a person, to strip away those layers of professionalism, those layers of, of uh, you know, how did you get to where you got to, da, 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 the usual trope, and to get down to your story. So that was one. Then another one that I will always, always cherish is um, when I interviewed um, Sheila Reddy, the author of Mr. And Mrs. Jinnah. I had read her book and when I emailed her about, you know, booking a slot for an interview, I just kept it real. I didn't say, oh, thank you so much for writing this lovely, wonderful, absolutely gorgeous, beautifully written book. I just went beyond that. I said, can I just tell you something? I love Rati and I think she, she's fabulous. And I sent her this very heartfelt email, which I now look back. I probably didn't even stop for any punctuation. I just poured my heart out. And I said, look, I want to talk to you about this book. And she responded in the warmest way. She was like, you know what? This feedback means so much to me. And the interview that I conducted, this was for Dawn. It's one of the best of interviews ever for me because of how open Sheila was. And Sheila was open because we'd made that personal connection. Of course, feedback, formal feedback, professional feedback is necessary. But when I finished the book, I realized the magnitude of it. I mean, it's just remarkable. The book in itself is remarkable. It's a work of art. Yeah. And I thought, of course she's going to know this. Then I want to tell her how I feel about it, what I felt. Then another interview that I conducted was um, Anita Anand, who had written about uh, Maharaja Dalip Singh's daughter, Princess Sophia, Princess Sophia, who was Queen Victoria's goddaughter and the first um, colored suffragette. And with Anita as well, I met Anita at a literary festival in Lahore. And when I started reading this book, I I connected with it on a different level. Having grown up in the West as a brown female, as a South Asian, as a Pakistani, as a minority member. And that was the angle that I took when I wrote to Anita to ask her if she could grant me an interview. Because I said, you know, this, what, what, what Princess Sophia did from back then, it connects with me now. It resonates with me now. And she she was a fighter. She had everything to lose, and yet she fought. And Anita as well connected on that level because she said, I said, how did you even find this story? And she said, you know, I was just flicking through some magazines at home. I was bored at home. And suddenly I saw this lady, this, this picture um, of the suffragettes. And I looked at this lady and I thought, oh, she looks like my aunt. Anita is Indian as well. And yeah. so immediately we were like, look at this. We, we look for stories for women that are about our aunts and uncles. Yeah. It doesn't get more Asian than that, right? Yeah. It just doesn't. 
You'll never hear William Dalrymple say, oh, I decided to write about so-and-so because he resembled one of my uncles. You just won't hear it. Yeah, so that was a great one. And then my, um, and recently for the fashion book, there, there were so many colorful profiles, but, you know, I think three will always stick with me. One is Tariq Amin because yeah. of how open Tariq Amin was yeah. about the entire thing. Often you find that you might try to, and I found myself in this situation where you're conducting an interview and the interviewee isn't giving you very much. They're giving you the standard, yes, no, the worst answer you can get, in those situations, you know, I, I would suggest that if it's not working, change the topic and then I'll go back to it. Um, there have been a couple of instances where an interview has just gone disastrously so badly because it's been so boring. But I think that's that's also a failure on, on both parties. You know, on my, yeah. on my part, it's I've not been able to break the ice, which yeah. I should have done so before. Huh? And on part of the interviewees, I think it's their failure to be able to trust me because they're scared. And fear is very much a part of our national psyche, unfortunately. Yeah. But going back, Tariq Amin, when, it, when I started writing this book, I said this to each and every single person, every single person. I started off with them. I said, look, I'm writing a book on the fashion industry and I want to know your story and I want us to be friends. I said this to every single person. I said, I, I'm coming to you in a spirit of friendship and I want us to be friends. I want us to walk down memory lane together and when they would ask me, well, why? Why would I want to be friends with you? Why would I want to do that with you? My answer was like, well, because you were doing the work that I was consuming. So we already have a relationship there. And that made them feel wanted. Do you know what I mean? That made them, I wasn't there to get something out of them and then just leave. I wasn't using them, but I wanted them for who they were. And that feeling to be desired is a wonderful thing that you can give to anyone, that I want you for who you are, not for what you can do for me. So Tariq Amin was a very, very wonderful interview. Then there was Asif Razas, Asif Razas, the photographer, the, the father of photography in Pakistan. Oh, you know, All of Pakistan should be thanking him when they put their pictures up on Instagram. Um, Asif Razas was interesting because when I started interviewing him, Almost immediately, the story that he told, I was like, you know, he was like, I was this young graduate. I came back from Canada, back to Pakistan, um, and I wanted to do photography. And my family was like, what? Yeah. Photography? And I, and I sat there thinking, oh, this sounds familiar. When I left a bank, uh, a job in banking in London, I came back. And I remember walking to the house and saying, so I'll be working at a newspaper. And my parents were like, no one's done that. Yeah. And no one's going to do that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, no. Someone is going to do that. So Asif Raza's story was very special to me because it was also a story about someone who went against the grain. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people have loved his profile. And they've been like in awe that was because here was someone like Tariq Amin who's just, just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And if you can get that message across to your readers, you're, yeah. you are, the profile is meant to empower your reader. It's not meant to empower you or, or your establishment or anything. It's meant yeah. to empower the reader. And then the final profile that meant so much to me was, um, I mean, I love them all, but these are the ones that I really felt connected with um, on a personal level, was uh, Seher Segal's story. Now, Seher Segal, you think empire, you yeah. know, queen of, of the fashion industry and everything. But what I loved was that this I conducted with her in her house. She had invited me into her home and I was deeply honored because I know for me personally, a home is a personal sanctity. 
it's yeah. your shelter. It's where you bear off everything. And, and if you invite someone into your home, I do consider it a great honor, especially if it's for work. So immediately I thought, okay, here's someone who is showing me this magnanimous gesture of trust. She's invited me into her home, into her personal space. And I and I'm, will always remain grateful to her for that. And during the course of the interview, I said, Tujji, aap mujhe libas ki kahani batai, jo aapne fashion magazine, the vogue of South Asia, jo aapne wo shuru kiya tha. And she looked at me, and I remember she was uh, having a bowl of soup. She looked at me and she said, you know, I was standing outside W. H. Smith's. Aapko pata hai W. H. Smith's ka? And I was like, she, is she for real? Is she... Is she having a laugh? Is she is she really trying to make me feel comfortable? Ki, you know, W. H. Smith stationery ki dukaan, and I was like, and this is in London, by the way, and I was like, she she, she and I was like, nee nee, sir, and she insisted. Captain, we just say hello, and I said, nee, sir, आप आप मुझे बताएं आपने लिबास कैसे शुरू किया था? And she was like, हाँ, तो मैं W. H. Smith के दफ्तर के बाहर खड़ी भी थी, but इतनी सर्दी थी, it was so cold and I was standing outside waiting for an appointment with the manager and I'm sitting there thinking wait a minute are you for real and she was just so calm about it she was like well yes what were you expecting and that's when it hit me that moment the greatest thing that you can do in a profile is show people that ultimately it's the ordinary that makes a difference yeah. it's the ordinary that counts yeah. it's not about the glitz it's not about the glamour if you get that well and good but that's a byproduct that is not the goal mm-hmm. and this was something that was evident even for people like um the the magazine founder um ashit tareen who founded pakistan's first men's magazine you know he wasn't in it for the fun the glitz the glamour the parties you know and everything of the sort he was in it because he wanted to do some creative work yeah. he just wanted to do some creative work and i think these stories why why people have loved the book so much it's not because of me or because of sad my co-author or because of anything but the fact that these were stories of people who were just ordinary arm log जिन्होंने अच्छा काम किया था और उन्होंने अपनी कहानी बताई है इतने फखर से झाड़ू बॉयूर्न who whose family you know owned dawn herald everything fifi harun just turned on one day and said you know what i'm fed up of this i'm going to go do my own thing how many women will actually turn around and say that today without fearing a backlash yeah you see what i mean and i said sega yaar who who i kaun kahega ki yaar hum khade hue the appointment ke liye manager ke paas you know kaun kahega nobody says it nobody yeah, wants to own it and these i think when these sort of things come out in profiles this has also been my personal experience that these are the stories that you know sort of connect because ek kuch cheez jab establish ho jati hai kuch cheez when something you know becomes a big thing and something that everybody is looking up to and if you sort of try to get to its roots and there's always a glossed out version that people sort of generally yeah. promote you know there was a light bulb moment when you know or somebody was and generally people think oh you know there is only a set group of people who can do amazing things because they have the environment they you know they have this thinking room that they can go you know a, a, a specialized yeah, study or whatever the environment you picked that up beautifully that's a great point that you picked up on the environment makes a huge difference i mean i remember when i had one of the issues that i've always always insisted on is one throughout my interviews i had two small toddlers why well, remember my my youngest was a year old and my older one was about to, about to turn 5 when i started working on this book so inevitably while i'd be conducting interviews there would always be someone crying or wailing 
or wanting to go to the bathroom. And I made no excuses for it because I said, look, this is the environment that I'm working in. And every single person, I'm not joking, every single person who's in the book, no matter how glamorous they are, no matter how rich they are, they all said, you know what? It's fine. And I'll tell you why. They weren't being nice. They appreciated the fact that, look, I'm being real. Yeah. I'm being real that this is the situation that I'm working in and just bear with me because I'm trying to do my best here. Yeah. And I think that's something that's very important. I, I remember one time I had to uh, interview Seher Sehgal and Garmiyati. And of course, and my roof started leaking. And so I was standing there thinking, I've, you know, two children, what am I going to do? I couldn't leave. So I just messaged, you know, Seher Sekel. I said, look, I'm really sorry. This is going to sound crazy, but I don't have anywhere to leave my kids. My roof is leaking. I can't come over right now. And she sent me the nicest message. She was like, you know what? These things happened. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Becoming who they are, or you know, becoming these stars, they have also gone through these struggles. And they have these are the people who have done the work. I've read your book from cover to cover, and all of these individuals that we some of them, uh, obviously, we, uh, I'll get into it later. Some of them we obviously know they are like regular names in the fashion industry. Uh, they have actually put in the work, they didn't just, you know, yeah. fell from the sky with this this brand or this, you know, this yeah. status or this this money, they've actually put in the groundwork. They know, for example, if there's a designer, they know their work by hand because they have done it. Uh, and then now they are in the position because unfortunately what we see, be it just the not just the fashion industry, but any field. I think this there's this new um, concept and I think this is where these sort of profiles and stories matter is so that people know that you can't just it doesn't happen in days, it doesn't happen in hours, because this is the current mentality. It needs to be the it thing. It requires a lot of your time, it requires years, and it requires a lot of persistence and effort on your part. And these profiles add to that factor. And not just the, like the work profiles, as you mentioned, story you know. That also, I think these sort sort of stories, I think we have lost a lot of such stories by not giving them the, the sort of status that they required. Because we're telling people that this country was created by these people who, who weren't like there, they had to go through, they saw something, that was happening and they decided that needed to do this and they have put in a lot of sacrifice in this country and just seeing what all their efforts and sacrifices has not really panned out the way they were hoping for it to pan out it's needs it's heartbreaking and i think those, those stories need to be kept alive that is the next generation a lot of for a lot of people it's like which is like, that's not why this country was made. So yeah, so these stories are very important. Uh, so le like, just let's continue with, uh, because you highlighted some of the profiles that you did for your book, which is a fashion history of uh, Pakistan. Uh, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with it as of yet, why is my big question. And if not, that you need to actually look it up. It's, I think one of its kind, uh, it's the first book that has sort of cataloged and archived how Pakistan's fashion industry was founded, what went into it, and also the fact, and I think, I don't know if a lot of people know this, that India's fashion industry uh, sort of is inspired by the Pakistani fashion industry. And I will let Meher uh, give details on that. Uh, so Meher, just share what, how did you decide, and because I have ask you this question in a separate conversation and you okay, if there will be a second volume and you said that's not happening so just share what made you and Saad you know collaborate and you know come up with this uh, book absolutely I think a second volume is necessary 
and I hope someone who's listening is going to feel inspired to go out and do it. Don't be disheartened by how difficult a project is. That's where the fun lies. Believe me. Looking back now, I can see that at the time when we were going through it, it was incredibly difficult. But now I look back and I think how it has transformed me for the better. But going to your original question, Fatima, um, like I said, there was no eureka moment. There was no light bulb moment. Um, we were not invited over to, you know, the, the Versace mansion for dinner or anything of the sort. Nothing glamorous ever happened like that. It was a very, very ordinary morning. And it was one of those mornings where everything goes wrong. You know, the house staff wasn't, hadn't come through. Um, I had to drop my toddler off to um, school. I just had a baby and I obviously I had to leave the baby at home. And I clearly remember hurtling down Main Boulevard, dropping, you know, and I was a complete mess, even more so than I look like right now, to be honest. Um, hair in a bun, t-shirt covered with milk and, and leftover breakfast and kisi bache ki ulti, you know, it was just insane. And I just sat there in my car thinking, oh, this is so hard. And then suddenly the car in front was another mom. She was dropping her child off. And she was dressed in a three-piece lawn jora, four-inch heel. This is at around 7, 7.30 in the morning. Blow-dried hair, face packed on. And I felt bad because I was looking at myself and thinking, But Fatma, what struck me was how unhappy she looked. She looked so uncomfortable. She looked, she wasn't smiling. She wasn't happy. And I just thought, well, who is telling women to dress like this? Why, why, why should we have to dress this way to, to be seen? I mean, why, why? Uh, this is a country that thrives on fashion and on food. This is a country that is obsessed with marriage and children. And I'm sorry, there's nothing out there that's catering to anything. You know, it, it, it's it's beyond me what, what the fashion industry is thinking. And of course, compounded with um, the, I, I suppose the feminist streak in me, it just got me thinking, I wouldn't know what's going on. And because I'd done investigative work before, when I was uh, working at, at the Friday Times newspaper, I thought, you know what, I need to find out who is telling women to dress like this. We need to get to the bottom of this. So that was it. It was just an ordinary day looking around, observing, and something just got triggered inside of me. And, and that's what it, in the meantime, I had roped in Saad, my co-author. And I said, Saad, let's do this. Let's take a look. Saad himself has done groundbreaking investigative journalism. He's published globally. Um, fantastic journalist and, and an amazing human being. And he was like, huh, TK, let's do this. And so we went down the rabbit hole. And, and what we discovered was Fatma was heartbreaking because there were no archives. There is very little research done on the fashion industry. And today, when I look at what universities are teaching fashion students, I'm even more heartbroken. It's not, fashion is not just about stitching and kadai ka kaam, even though that is an integral part. Yes, of course, you need to know how to stitch, you need to know the craft and all. But how will a student know that if they're designing a patiala shalwar, what the significance of that patiala shalwar is? Or if someone is doing a block, a series of block printed um, outfits, how will they know? what value their work has if they're not even aware of the history of the craft or the history of the art or the history of the fabric. Do you see what I mean? We are a nation of consumers. And the amount of cotton that we consume, and it's imported. We are importing this lawn. This is non-homegrown lawn. This is non-homegrown cotton. And I think so. I mean, my hope is that and to some extent, it has been fulfilled. University students have owned the book. They love it. They're learning from it. Professors have reached out to us saying, can you share your material with us so we can um, create better curriculum? 
but i feel that so much more needs to be done fatima and i and i really hope someone anyone who's listening to this the fashion industry is not just what you see on instagram it's not what you see in sunday magazines or dawn or whatever those magazines are it's a lot more a lot more and there's so much potential in there for all of you for any one of you male and female and and otherwise how you may want to identify yourself just go out there and do your research just go out there look at what you see write down your observations come home draw out a plan and just do your work so oh, another thing that i found very interesting in the book and sort of that was quite intriguing was the fact um ke jo bhi aap jis tarah bhi aap as you said the archives are in a very bad uh, shape and whatever you guys were able to retrieve from it and i'm sure sad has a lot more and i hope he ends up just publishing them somehow uh i'm on his case the work that i that i've seen that was that was being published at that time in the fashion industry yeah in the creative front anyways be it photography fashion makeup whatever uh was aajkal wo hoga to wo phir you know social media, people who do that sort of work ban ho jayega exactly and the fact that that work was being done sort of at the cusp of one of the worst dictatorships in this country that was of zial haq and uske wo pander down ho raha tha i think the 80s 90s covered here where you know wo wala martial law bhi recently khatam hua hua tha but the so the but the societal impact so hum aaj tak bhogat rahe hain abhi tak wo kafi fresh the matlab i feel ki wo abhi bhi kafi fresh fresh hai but they were pretty fresh and these creative people were finding ways to sort of you know still continue and come up with these creative works and publish it and reach out to the audience that they had and same goes for i think our uh, television and our comedy matlab था बिल्कुल था एंड ऑल कंट्रीज गो थ्रू अ फेज ऑफ जैसे इकोनॉमिक साइकिल होता है ना स्लम रिकवरी इकोनॉमिक्स बड़ी बुरी है बट यू नो बूम स्लम रिकवरी डिजास्टर इट इज राइट इन द सेम वे कंट्रीज हैव अ साइकिल इज वेल वन ऑफ द मोस्ट इट्स आइरोनिक रेजीम was actually the most creative period of pakistan's uh, history exactly. in all aspects yeah. and i'll tell you why that is it's because when when everything is being clamped down on you and you have nowhere to go you start looking inwards and you start thinking what well, either i drown or i'm going to survive and it's not so much a reaction as it is a survival thing This, these are two different things reacting is different reacting would have been um what waf did to the hudood ordinances they reacted to it in a protest conduct here and and they really did it in a democratic way but survival this all of this was survival what are you going to do jab aap ghar pe baithe hue ho you're going to call up friends you're going to start having a bit of fun and that's how it began that's literally how the industry began Tariq Amin had had a flat. Um, he would have his friends over: Tapu Javeri, Fifi Harun, Rizwan Beg, the model um, Lulu, or Conti. There was another model as well, uh, Bibi, Frihal Taaf. There were just a bunch of kids just hanging out with nothing else to do. There was nothing else to do, and so they decided, "Well, ya to ham buthi sujake baith jaate hain, ya ham kuch karte hain, acha kaam karte hain." Realistic. and that's what they did they were like we're just hanging around acha theek hai rizwan ne joda banaya hai great where's the model okay um does anybody have a camera okay let's just, let's just ha- do a photo shoot let's have fun and the same way um 
which is what um, Tanveer Jamshed TJ is, one of pa Pakistan's biggest brands, the first Pakistani brand to go international for Pret. TJ if you want to desexualize women to this point, I'll create androgynous clothing. So you have people like Marina Khan coming on screen without a dupatta, but guess what? She's got a boy cut and she's dressed in androgynous clothing. So you can't see her figure. You can't figure out or whatever it is, but there she is in a female, very, pretty much carrying out a female role and beautifully. So it was all about being creative. It was all about surviving and, and living, not just existing, actually living. When, that, when you have that desire to live, then you're not going to let anything get in your way. You're not going to. If you want to merely exist, by all means. But if you really want to live, you really want to feel life, in, in, in no matter how limited a capacity, then you will find a way, a creative yeah. way, somehow or the other. Draw on the walls. Cavemen, what do they do? Exactly. And I think it, these sort of things, and not just in the, in, the, in the sense of the fashion and creative industry, but if we look at history everywhere, during the bleakest times, even currently, which is sort of figuring out on our news feeds, the people there are finding ways of coping from sitting outside and from seeing all that content. And like at times, I have been figuring out how can these people have any hope from what that's happening? But they are like, you know, this is what the other party wants. They want to kill our hope, but that's not what we're going to do. So again, uh, just adding on to the point that if you want to, people want to live, you can either just surrender, but then otherwise, or you can do your part, maybe your, just do make I think it will be a mentality where people like, you know, what one person can do, and I think if everybody just starts focusing on what they can individually have an impact on, even if that's on one other person, I think that can be good enough and you have like achieved your life goal. Well, well, to people who say things like, what can one person do? Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Greta Thunberg, you know, um, in this digital era, somebody asked me recently, like, how do you feel about the youth of Pakistan today? And I said, I feel so hopeful because they've got tools that we didn't have when I was their age, which is basically every single person has a smartphone in your hand. You have access to the Internet. I mean, I was the generation where we had to connect our Internet to the landline and then wait for MSN Messenger. Yeah. Get off, phone karna hai, mujhe baat karni hai. And you're like, yaar, so limited access to the internet. Um, you have all these apps and skills. You don't even need to do digital courses now. You know, yeah. you can create digital content just sitting at home. And honestly, this pandemic has been about nothing but time. Yeah. You've had so much time to actually sit down and do something that is not just about yourself or your life, but in terms of how it connects with other people. And if you're not utilizing this time, then let me tell you already that when things do begin to normalize, and of course it could be a new normal, you will be left behind. And you don't yeah. want to be left behind. Because then you'll have no one to blame. And that's when things will begin to go pear shape. Take action now. There's your, the world is at your fingertips. There are so many online courses that you can do. Just a quick free online course and you can learn so many new things. There are so many communities out there online. Everyone is looking for a connection. Follow your heart, follow your dreams, do what you want to do. You're in that position right now. Why would you squander it? And for what? For just sitting? Even Netflix. I mean, when people say, hi, I watch Netflix all day long. I'm like, yeah, but even in my Netflix, look at what you're consuming. Somebody yeah. is creating that. Yeah. And they're creating it for you. 
why would you not want to do the same for someone else uh, i think uh, my next uh, and i think this will be our sort of uh, closing topic of discussion is publication uh, and i think from what you have just said about you know creating for others and seeing a gap and actually doing something instead of just cribbing about what's going on um and sort of just doing your part and see maybe inspires somebody else might get inspired and you know add their own version of it and it might grow from there and there was and this also comes from the fact that one of the key things that was in your book was the fact that a lot of the thing that things that were happening uh in the fashion industry were able to be communicated and i think we you also need to add on that how did pakistani industry help the indian industry develop pala i would like you to uh, share that as well woh sara kuch was happening around publications there were a lot of them matlab uh, just yeah. from uh, small publications to have the key major publications jo hain unke supplements bhi agar aa jaye and unfortunately we, in our abhi recently we have seen a lot of those uh, good publications you know just frizzle out and die out and i think one you can't just blame consumers on it i think uh, he, from what i have understood from this all scenario is the fact that they didn't really adapt to the new changing trends they didn't digitize in time they were not sort of mm-hmm. managing mm-hmm. the content accordingly this is i think was a flaw that these publications had but anyways there are obviously other macro level uh, factors that chipped in a lot but we have seen all of these publications sort of die down so how do you see and now you have a publishing house mushafar farooqi has kitab there are a couple of others that are doing some you know they they are starting out small but they their presence sort of gives hope so just say how share how that connects how these uh, how you saw you know the the impact of the lack of the publishing industries sort of i don't know strength and how do you think the current scenario or the current budding publications can add to the present and future of uh, our local publication because mera sabse bada problem ye hai ki jab se books pe import ban hua there are a lot of titles i have to beg friends sort of when they up to traveling bhi logon ki band ho gayi to meri basically kitabein band ho gayi hai to mujhe to bahut tension hai absolutely absolutely it's it's a this is a sad ending but kya kehte hain pakistan has had a very rich publishing history unfortunately due to geopolitical events um economic uh, downturns the publishing industry has suffered badly which caused many pakistani authors to look towards india where the big 5 are located the big 5 publishing houses are located and many others and and find um get their books printed and published there it was a good uh, relationship you know uh, i i'm proud to say that pakistan has always been very open to india especially when it comes to art and culture we've always extended our, our hand to them and they have reciprocated to be fair to them india has always been very very warm and welcoming so it was a good thing that was happening and then unfortunately um the 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 incident of pulwama that happened and for the first time for the first time in my life i saw that art and culture relations also had to break down not because of antagonism but because of political pressure from both governments pakistan had imposed a ban on all indian imports that included books and on india's side there were these rules that if you cannot sell your product in pakistan then you will not stock or publish any books from pakistan now a lot of people might turn around and say well ebooks ka kya nobody knew that things were going to happen and nobody knew that the pandemic was going to happen yeah. up until now it had always been a physical product whether it was clothes chicken curry ke kapde kitabe um i don't know parde maybe i don't the sabziyan sabziyan mari india se bahut aati thi you know a, a lot of these things physical goods it relationship it always been physical when that happened that got me thinking that okay fine no not a problem we'll just look towards the west and the west can publish our books but what i discovered 
in the Western publishing arena is that there are these preconceived notions of what a country, particularly Pakistan, can produce and cannot produce. And there was this element of racism as well. Yes, it is sugar-coated with things like, oh, well, it ha it's a business. It has to be commercial. I get that. I get that. But then why are you putting limits on the type of books that you are going to publish? Surely, in, in a country like the UK, where there's a huge Pakistani diaspora, there's going to be some interest in my book as a Pakistani author, as a British yeah. Pakistani author, actually. So that just that was the second you know, catalyst that got me thinking, Okay, so we can't go to India. The West doesn't want us. Let's look inwards. And inwards was just, it was just a wasteland. You know, there was exploitation. There was um, disregard for copyright. There was um, zero, zero concept of confidentiality. And uh, that was the third thing. And I thought, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to set up my own. And I wouldn't call it a publishing house because it's, I'm literally a one-woman show. I, I do all the work myself, whether it's picking out the paper, going to the printers, getting the layout done, the PR, the marketing, the sales, the accounts, the editing, um, the commissioning, everything I do myself. And so it's more like a publishing platform. I think if I call it a publishing house, that's dishonest on my part because I'm just one person. But um, I've had great success with it so far, thankfully. Um, Zuka Books has not just published Pakistan's first pop culture book, which is, of course, Pakistan of Fashionable History, but it's also gone on to publish Pakistan's first nonfiction um, about mental health in the form of a poetry book by Zara Hamid. Pakistan, uh, we, I've also been lucky to collaborate with the Desi Collective, a law-based anthology. And it's been a huge success for the anthology um, title, Letters to My Inner Child, which again was a sensitive area. But again, Fatima, I don't just want to do books. I want to do books that have some connection, that when somebody reads them, when somebody holds them in their hands, they have a product of value, which is why when people say that, oh, your books are so expensive, they're not expensive. That these are books that they will stay with you for a long, long time. It's not just a novel. It's something that is, it's got a lesson in it. It's something you will always revert back to. And then I also feel that there's, there's this concept that where people don't want to pay for art. My authors, every single one of them, they get a royalty per copy. I don't have any conditions where like, not at all. If somebody is trusting me with their work, I want to return that trust a hundred times. I want their work to feel valued. Pakistani writers have not been valued at all by within Pakistan. And you, I see that happening when I see these original Chukhtai books being sold, or when I go to the Urdu Bazaar and I see these ancient, rare books just lying there, and I think, why aren't these in a library? Why hasn't anybody made a library? What is going, does nobody care? I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. You know, Pakistanis do read books. We have, Lahore has been recognized as a city of literature by UNESCO. We have some of the world's best um, literature festivals, the LLF Lahore Literary Festival. Um, I, I mean, we are interested in the written word, but there's very little respect for it. And the two things are very different. Interest is one thing, respect is another thing altogether. And yes, I'm really happy to see other publishing houses. There's um, uh, Ala Books by Tayyaba Abbas. There's um, Reverie by Safina Danishilahi. Musharraf Farooqi Kekabelezehi Tha. And what I'm loving is that they're all female. They're all yeah. female publishers including myself. And I think that's fascinating because it just shows that we all have our societal responsibilities. other responsibilities. But on the other hand, we're also striving to do what we can to create an industry here at the local level for the Pakistani people. Because we are a young nation and it's high time Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just saying, Uncle Anas, just saying, as you mentioned, you know, that uh, when you want, want, were looking at the West, West has still 
pretty biased and they want a specific kind of work coming out of our cultures and the stories they tell are very typical that's and okay. not really i mean always. that's okay the west that's all. if they want to do that that's fine yeah yeah but if we once we i think once we internally start respecting and building an infrastructure then they will notice and this is how it happens everywhere the business the business aspect of it is once a local industry is established then they see oh then they start thinking about the diaspora and the fact that oh you know there's an audience and there's money exactly. that exactly you've nailed it you've nailed it. until we start valuing our own writers how can we ask anyone else to do it which is why when people yeah. say oh west hamare khilaf hai bhai hopeful A sad and a hopeful uh, note, I think. Um, it a was realistic talking, note. Yeah, it was great talking to you, uh, and I will always. Uh, you'll be a regular on this platform, and we'll be talking about all the things that you're working on uh, in the future. Thank you for your time, and thank you, Fatima, for being time. such a staunch, for being such a staunch supporter of the written word, and always being so encouraging. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Bye, Fizz. Bye, Fizz.